Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. It's so great. We got a great show for you today. The Girl in the Treehouse, a memoir of Jennifer Aspenson. Now, Look, here's what I want to say about today, and I want to talk about this kind of cool, because Benny, Olivia, Jessica, and, you know, also Jennifer, you know, we're in this Mercury and retrograde, and people have said to me, um, you know, look, it's a Mercury and retrograde, but it's not going to be kind of like you thought the other ones were about. It's all about communication. It's really interesting when we see how those things unfold, as we're sitting here today And we're really excited to have this conversation with Jennifer because, you know, this is about sharing stories of people that have gone through enormous challenges. And so when I come in today and I realize here we are in this space and, you know, we're all plugged into the digital world. One of the things I realize is, you know, when you're plugged into the digital world, as you're plugged into the human world, there's only one thing that we can control. And that's us. And we can't even control us, but we can control what goes on inside of us. And whatever that is, is going to determine what the outcome looks like at the end of the crisis, at the end of the issue, at the end of the simple thing like the internet being unstable. How many of you have gotten that little pop-up thing that says your internet's unstable? And the first thing you want to do is go to crisis management. It's the internet. You've not been abducted by a serial killer. Or maybe you have. That's what today's show is about. Because if you are that, what is it about you? What is it about your life? What is it about the things that help shape, craft, carve out who you are? that will determine whether or not you make it through a teeny internet crisis or becoming an abductee by a serial killer. And that's what today's show is about. It's really looking at and taking a page out of Jennifer's book and her life and saying, look, this experience, my life, her life, imagine growing up Imagine growing up in the world you're about to hear about from her. Imagine growing up with no heat and running water. Many of you have heard me talk about the fact that I spent a lot of my early years when I was at my aunt's house in Manhattan on the fire escape because where I was sleeping was the absolute place that cockroaches love to stay. So my choice was the fire escape. And I learned a lot on the fire escape. But what happens if you are wearing the same clothes to school every day? What if you're eating breakfast with warm goat milk? What if you're, you're in this whimsical environment? What if all of that becomes who you are? 
But then you go through a period, you go through a part of your life. Dysfunctional is a word psychology people use. Abusive is another word. Chaotic is another word. But even with all of that, you might think if you are Jennifer, you might say, wow, I have already lived my life. But then the thing happens. Today, I want to introduce all of you to someone that has been through pretty much about all that you can imagine going through. And on the other side is the only survivor victim of Chicago serial killer. And we're going to tell you who that is in a minute. But what is it that you are going to hear today from her about the experience itself, an awareness about what happens when you grow up, and how she has now become an advocate for people, victims who cannot speak for themselves. And both she and I know what it's like to be part of a mental health uh, awareness initiative and an advocate, both with herself, with my mom, my mom's suicide, and here we are today. So through forgiveness and self-love, an amazing book that she's written, and we're going to talk about this book, it's really cool. You know, through all of this, her message in the world today is more powerful than ever, because if you don't think that people have been shocked into existence over the past 18 months, wow, look at some of the statistics. Jennifer, it's great to have you. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Did a little paraphrase on a lifetime full of incredible things. And, you know, I want to I want to just step back for a moment in time because I've often thought about and I've started to talk about my own upbringing and what I learned from it. And it's hard when you go through early childhood and things are just really wacko to step back and say, wow, you know, this was wacko, but I learned something. I want to ask you this question before we talk about what it was like to be the only survivor. Do you think your this childhood, this very unique childhood, how did that shape you? How did that prepare you for, for the future of your life? It, it prepared me because growing up with, with no electricity or water or other things that other people have it makes you think differently, think outside of the box than other people, you know, because they have this, they have that. They can wake up in the morning, turn on the light, wash their face. I couldn't do that. I had to know where a flashlight was or find a place that had sunlight. I had to know when the sun was going to come up if I wanted to get ready outside for, for school or anything. But I think even though my childhood was, it wasn't the greatest, that helped me to escape into my imagination. And so when we had no lights and I had to get down the stairs in the middle of the night, I would practice that in the daylight. So when it was nighttime, I would be able to see in the dark and I became very comfortable in, in my life as a child because, but God forbid anybody on the outside world found out, I felt like they would think I was a freak, the things I had to do, the 
way I had to take showers. Um, but for today, I love that I went through those kind of hardships because what I thought was freaky, weird, bizarre behavior is now called creativity. So all my friends say, you're so creative. You're so creative. And I think that comes because it's a survival mechanism at first. And then you just naturally think like that the rest of your life. Yeah. I love that you included the images in your book. I just want to say, I just love that you included the images in the book. And the book, for those of you out there that I'm talking about, is called The Girl in the Treehouse, a memoir. And I, I love this. And, you know, as I was looking at this, and I was reading your book and really getting, you know, at least getting to know you a little bit. I thought of myself uh, in the fire escape. And, you know, I, I believe it or not, I've had people write poems about the fire escape story. But I thought about you in the treehouse. Um there's something that happens when you find sacred space. Talk to me about the treehouse for a minute, because I envision myself like, wow, this had to be sort of that place, that sanctuary, so to speak. What was it like for you? Tell me about the treehouse, if you don't mind. It was, it was amazing. It, um, I brought in tapestries, I had incense, I made it this little fantasy world, Yeah, you know, and the, the tree house comes from, you know, I grew up thinking my life would have been normal like other children's lives if I had a tree house like them, you know, so there's different things that pull the tree house into it. And that was exactly it about the sp safe space. I never felt comfortable doing when you write you're very vulnerable I don't know what expressions I'm going to have on my face I don't know if I'm going to start crying I don't know if I'm going to throw something I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to smoke some pot drink some alcohol I don't know what's going to happen so I kind of want to hide myself and isolate myself but know I'm safe as well because it wasn't a backyard that was had a wall around it so the nights that I did sleep in there which was many nights I felt safe and there's something about putting yourself in an unconventional or awkward situation that doesn't feel good at first but kind of brought me back to my childhood because I didn't have any running water I had electricity because I know how to hook up a stent an extension cord yeah. So I had that, but, you know, just the little things using the flashlight again, I just wanted to get back there in my mind as much as I could. And, and I love talking with you about this too, because we're going to really, you know, we're going to get up close and personal about this amazing book that you've written. You know, I know you're calling it a memoir, but when I, when I read the book and I read about your experiences, what I'm really struck by is your resilience. And it's a level of resilience that many people in the world right now did not prepare themselves for. And I've talked about this a lot. I've talked about the fact for the first time in humanity, well, humanity that we know of, for the first time in humanity across the board, everybody on the planet pretty much was affected by something that created a shock. And yet we refuse to recognize the mental health issues with things. 
And I love how you talked about your early childhood, because as I continued to read, I realized how absolutely brilliantly resilient you were. And I want to talk with you about this journey. What is it like to write this book, but more importantly, how writing changes us, how you now become a spokesperson for something that we just don't talk enough about mental health. I'm going to take a short break, Jennifer. When we come back, we're going to talk about this, but also surviving, that word surviving, but then for you, surviving and then thriving. Let's take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. This is an incredible book. It's an incredible story. I love how out of the box the actual binding of the book is, which I totally love. When we come back, what makes a woman have such a powerful voice to be that advocate ambassador for those that haven't found theirs yet? We'll be right back with that. Join the new earth on the Cornelia Stephanie show. Tune in each month as Cornelia takes listeners on an odyssey of higher consciousness to inspire, educate, and empower. Cornelia Stephanie is a spiritual teacher, passionate speaker, published author, and founder of the Empower Network. Cornelia guides people on the path of self-healing, peace, and liberation. For more information, go to CorneliaStephanie.com. The Finder of Lost Things, exploring your superpowers of trust, healing, and transformation with me, Hannah Belton. When my brother Christian went missing, I completely denied my grief. We can either transform and transition, or we can stay stagnant. This podcast will uncover the process that Christian and I went on to find the lost things, him, and to find the parts of me that were missing. And there's things that are missing in you that prevent you from letting go, whether it's a person, a dream, a lifestyle. That process of trusting and finding the lost pieces and, and integrating them, that's where you get your sustainable transition that will carry on. Tune in every Monday at 9am Pacific on transformationtalkradio.com. You can find me at hannahvelton.online. Healing has a ripple effect. One person's healing affects everyone around them. This is where the power of sharing our stories can be so important. Tune in to Playing on the Edge Radio with Megan Edge each month on Transformation Talk Radio as Megan provides you with ways of sustaining radical and powerful changes in your life. Enact the power of radical change. To find out more about Megan Edge, visit her website at meganedge.ca. Hi, I'm Laura Goldstein, and here's a Coffee with the Universe tip. Ever wonder why you want to go to the gym more, for example, but you just can't make it happen? You find yourself rearranging your underwear drawer instead of getting in the car. If this sounds like you, you might have caught a case of the shoulds. Maybe you think you should lose 20 pounds to fit back into your favorite pair of jeans, or that you should be healthier in general. It all sounds good, but deep down you just aren't into it. Truth is, making choices from shoulds just leads to guilt, resentment, and a whole lot of procrastination. So take a good look at your goals. Are you shoulding yourself anywhere? If so, give yourself permission to let it go. 
For more insights like this, tune into my Transformation Talk radio show called Coffee with the Universe. It's a live call-in show. I'd love to support you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, Jennifer, let's do this before we get going. For those of you out there, uh, The Girl in the Treehouse, this is a memoir. And my very special guest today has created a beautiful story and journey that takes you from, let's just call it an interesting, eclectic childhood to the one of the most egregious life events you can imagine, like egregious, like that's a word. Um, I mean, from the headlines to Law & Order SVU, I mean, seriously, we're going to talk about that. But Jennifer, before we go there, how do people find out about you? How do we get them a copy of the book? So tell people how they connect with you. So here, I'll show you a picture of the book. <laughs> Probably already have that somewhere, but that's what it looks like. And if you want to find out anything about the book or about me, you could just Google the girl in the treehouse. You don't even have to know my name, but it's Jennifer As Benson, A-S-B-E-N-S-O-N. And if you Google that, it'll show you that it's on Audible, that you could get it Um Barnes and Noble online, and you could get it from Amazon. Beautiful. Okay, let's let's take a look at this. We took we talked a little bit before Jennifer about your childhood, but what I'm really struck by, and I'm I'm struck by this because I really had to do a lot of self reflection recently, is here we are, and you've now written a book. And when I think about the book, this is a book that takes people on a journey from that early childhood to surviving and escaping a serial killer that nobody else escaped. And I want to ask you this question. Take us on this journey of what you and how you became resilient to even begin to know what to do. What was that like for you, that moment that you did not know that you were about to step into a space with someone that could hold your life in danger. What was that like? It's, it was spooky. It was so spooky. It was, at first it's unbelievable. You And, and your brain tries to process it and you just think, you can't, you can't even think. And different people do different things when they realize that their lives are suddenly in danger. And what I did at first was froze. I couldn't do anything, you know? So, so when people say, why didn't you do this or that? If you had my brain at that moment, you wouldn't have been able to even think of what you could do. So I just froze up and I, I was terrified. I was, I, what it was like though, what initially when I realized that this is bad, something bad is about to happen to me, it just opened my eyes to a whole nother world that was not a nice world to see. And I began to, to shake because, because I was so, I, I couldn't comprehend this kind of stuff really happened and it was happening to me. And it was so profound that I still shake to this day. Wow. That's every day, every day I shake. 
and because it was just too hard to understand. So I guess it just manifested into my nervous system and I just shake now because of it. So yeah, that, that part right there was actually the worst for me because that changed my view on things and kind of took my mind into a dark side that I never knew existed. In the world. Yeah. In the world. And, you know, that that's why I asked you that question, because when I was reading about, you know, your growing up experience, everything about your dad, everything about the dome, everything about, you know, the basics of life. And I'm, I'm thinking about, well, wow, what a shock it must be to go from that situation environment to now feeling that you have to fight for your life. Right. But yeah, don't you think that parts of of your growing up and your upbringing, you had to fight for your life then, too. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I had to. And. I had often. Been scared growing up, scared of my mom, scared of her emotional, physical abuse. And. Sometimes I would, when there was an authority figure like my mother, I would think I'll just do what they want so they won't hurt me. And that's kind of what related at first when I was in the car with this guy. But now looking back at it and on what you, when I learned what you should do in your situation like this, you know, you, you should just get out of there no matter what, you know, because you don't want to be transported to another place. But um, my is really that now this is how I'm going to die. Like, I believe in God. I love God. I have done nothing wrong to anybody my entire life up until then. I was very sincere. I was very innocent and naive. Yeah. And I thought... So I had this horrible life where I wished like I would have lived in a different family and then I get this amazing job and, and I feel like I'm on top of things and now I'm going to die. That really ran through my head. Like what? Even though I still believed and trusted in God, it just made that question like, why would this happen to me? I'm, I'm a good person on this earth. So I didn't understand it. And, and that's one of the things that ran through my mind. Yeah. I mean, what we're talking about, and, and this is for people that may not know your story, you know, what we're talking about is some of the decisions we make, and we're finding this now, you know, if there's a way to help young girls, if there's a way to help women understand that those decisions they make at college parties, those decisions they make, you know, when they feel like they're vulnerable, those decisions they make to really step back for a minute and think twice. And you're right. You know, if you if you are that person that is optimistic, that is upbeat, you don't think that you're getting in a car that may kill, jeopardize your life. You don't think that, right? 
I mean, you didn't say, oh, uh, I'm going to get in this car and this person, you kill me. You didn't think that. <laughs> right? Right. Um, no. So, tell, no. So, so, but you got, you tell us about this. You got in a car and that incident, that choice completely changed your life. Yeah. I, growing up, I learned to be afraid of the people in my own home. So when I got a job on the out in the outside world and saw how everybody treated me so good, I thought I started getting very optimistic. Wow, all the nice people are out here. Right. Wow, they gave me a job. Wow, this or that. Now I got a really good vacation. And now I get to go get an apartment. And but I didn't have a car. So when this guy, that was, I was, I'm always the most optimistic to this day of anybody. I that, am too. <laughs> yeah, I'm optimistic, but now I'm less naive, but I'm still optimistic. And so, you know, I was young and I was 19. And on top of the fact that I was told I could lose my job if I got to late, got, got to work, excuse me, late again, then this guy offers me a ride. To me, that was a godsend for real. It was a godsend. Did some people ask if I had that gut feeling? Um, I believe I did, but you know what? I had that gut feeling that something could go wrong all through my life as a child. Like my mom's coming around the corner. I got the gut feeling. So I tried to push that thing away as much as I could because it's a horrible feeling. Yeah. especially if something's not going to happen. Like I would get it in my own house, like something as horrible is going to happen. So I would just go the other way, or I would just see that wasn't going to happen or, well, it usually does. So I would try to avoid it. But when I got that out here, when I'm optimistic and think people out here are just trying to help me, I pretty much ignored that feeling thinking, no, this is a nice guy. I need a ride. He's here. Right time right place. Yeah. Believe me, I know. I mean, I grew up in a generation. I mean, you can tell I grew up in the hitchhiking generation. And honestly, we never thought about like stuff we're seeing on things like Law yeah. Order SVU. I mean, we never thought about that. We thought, oh, love and peace, get in the car. Let's go from here. I got to get from here to Pennsylvania. How am I going to do it? And off you go and you're 17 or maybe you're 16. Right. I remember hitchhiking from Jersey to New York on a late night. I'm 16 years old. But man, when I start to read the way that you've written your story in your book, my fingers gripped the ends of the twine and I wrapped it around my neck. I mean, when I start to read how absolutely beautifully depictive every moment of being captive by a serial killer, being in the trunk, envisioning the hand of God, I'm thinking about this and the way you wrote the book and the questions you ask are so important. You never thought you would get out of that trunk, did you? Do you think you'd get out of that trunk? No. no. When he put me in, I thought, no. I thought, now what? Because my hands were tied behind my back. And then I was put in the trunk as if being in the middle of nowhere with my hands tied behind my back wasn't hard enough. 
No now kidding. There's another. So I was thinking, how can I get out of this situation while I was not even in the trunk? But now I've got a double situation. You know, what do was- you attribute your escape to? I want to get to that because I mean, I've read the book. I know you spoke to God. I did. And there, I think there are numerous things. Um, And I think a lot of people just want to hear one answer. And and the one answer, there is one answer. And and that is that I pray to God. And if, I mean, I know my beliefs. I'm not here to preach to anybody. And I'm not here to do anything like that. But like, if you want to see that as a form of meditation, whatever it was, instead of freaking out and thinking, I'm going to die, I'm not going to do anything. I remembered that my grandma told me to pray if I was ever in trouble. And I hadn't done that since she had told me that because I had forgotten she said that. But when you're in this state of fight or flight, there are things that come up in your mind that you, your mind just tries to figure out how to get you out of there. And if you learn something in kindergarten, that part of your brain will open and you will be overloaded with information on ways to get out. And I just remembered, she said, pray. And I remember thinking that's all that I can do. My hands are tied behind my back. And so I began to pray and I prayed to God and I used in the, in the name of Jesus, let me out of here in the name of Jesus, blah, blah, blah. Now, some people could see that as you could see it how you want, but it was God that I talked to. But some people can see that as she calmed down and med- that's a meditation that really calms your nerves when you pray, you know, Um. So, so praying to God is what gave me the strength and courage to get out of there. But I've been told before on, on the internet where it says, oh, so she thinks because she prayed, she got away. But the other girls, they might have prayed. No, this is where it, it all goes into a certain situation. Those girls were never put away from him. They were always in his presence. Now, he made the mistake of thinking he wanted to torture me longer. So he was going to move me somewhere else. And when he moved me somewhere else, unbeknownst to him, he put me in my perfect environment. Yes. For my brain to work. Yes. And that- Because you had grown up with that. Yes. And that perfect environment, which would freak out a lot of people to be thrown in a trunk. Trust me, my friends, they don't like it. I wanted to show them, but- a lot of people don't like that, but me putting in there, be, being put in there in the dark with my imagination now, because when you give me the minimal, I could come up with the most. But if all my sensories are overloaded and I'm in the front seat of a car or running across the desert, like I can't go there. Yeah. And these girls, the other girls couldn't either. So they didn't have a chance. They did not have, a, have chance. a chance. They didn't have a chance to think. Yeah. They, yeah. they couldn't have prayed. So if he didn't put me in my place like that, the place, that was the best place he could put me was in that trunk. Yeah. 
because you know I, what I love about this and I love about your story and the way you're telling it and the way you wrote it in the book is this is what I love. And this is a great reminder for me. And I hope for everybody out there today. Um, I know you are out there as an advocate and an ambassador. And one of the things I'm really struck by, and I hope I can be a role model for my team here. When we are in the middle of a crisis, and I say crisis loosely, because your crisis, what you went through, devastating. But we're talking about moms and dads that are sitting there and don't have food for their children, right? A crisis is a crisis, and I make no judgment, and I don't think you do either. But what you're helping us understand is even today with this wacky thing with our internet, we have to stay in that place that of surrender and calm. And I think you talk about it. You say suddenly all was calm because it's in those moments that you, like all of us, get creative. But if everyone is panicking and talking about the problem and not really getting a solution and we can't get to the calm that you talk about in the book, we will not survive. How did you get out? After I prayed, exactly like you just said, I got so calm, so calm. And, and instead of being in that chaotic state of mind, shaking, thinking, how are we going to do it? Panicking, like you were just talking about. If, if people all panic, nothing is going to happen, you know? So after breathing, praying, I just opened my eyes and realized I was no longer putting all of my physical energy into shaking. I was no longer making my brain try to have every thought go off at once, which when that happens, you cannot act on any of them because there's too many. You don't can't even hear them all. Yep. So I just remember opening my eyes and feeling so calm, mm. so calm. I wasn't shaking. I just laid there. And then I just got hysterical strength in my mind and in my body. And I just started to open my wrist behind my back and I knew it was going to come off. I knew it was going to come off because I feel like I was not me at that moment because I had never felt that powerful in my life, but I was there and I was aware and I could hear it popping off. I can only focus on that and my calmness. I never put into my mind that you are in the trunk of a serial killer. He has lives. I, that wouldn't benefit me, but that's not my normal brain. I just went into this state, maybe self-preservance. I don't know, something I wanted to, I knew I was going to get out when, when I started doing that. This for me, as I continue to read and, and people will have to read the book to go through the details we're not talking about today. You know, I, I'm reading the book and I tell you, I have felt like I was right there, you know, 
that freedom of knowing that you have done something to escape, then, you know, face with the man that just will not let you get out. I mean, you never gave up, right? There's a no. part of surrender that I read about in your book where you're surrendering to say, uh, this, whatever is here, I need help with something that's out of my control. I need you, God, spirit, whatever you believe in to come in, but your ability to be calm and then to act. That's the message we need today. Uh, look, people can read in detail about this, but you did escape this serial killer, right? And I believe yeah. you are the only one, correct? Yeah. Out of, yeah there all the other women others. did not, right? Yeah. But even with the escape, there's another journey that begins. And that's why we're talking today. It's also the journey of what do you do when you have experienced something like this? Because most of the world doesn't understand what you need. You then went on another journey. You went on a journey of hospitals. You went on a journey of care. You went on a journey to try to have people understand what you experienced. That was a whole different journey for you as the survivor. Yeah. Well, this is the crazy thing. When you're in a situation as crazy as mine was and then break out of the trunk, that whole time you just think the world is going to be so amazing once you get out of there. Everybody is going to love you and be like, oh my gosh, strangers are going to hug you. I don't know. You just feel like what you're escaping is such a big deal that everybody is just going to want to touch you, you know, want to, oh my gosh, you, I thought maybe my mother would now love me. Those were, these were real thoughts. And maybe that's something that goes through our minds just to help us to get out of this situation. You know, I don't know, but yeah. I thought that's what was going to happen, but then it all went downhill, you know, um, the medical people, uh, the EMTs just, we're addressing, well, she's got some marks here, a yep. bite mark here on her, on her neck. And the whole time I was dying inside. I did yep. not care if I was missing an arm. I don't care. Can somebody give me a hug? Which, which would have helped to heal what had happened to me inside. And nobody asked if I needed somebody to talk to, anything like that. You go right to a rape test where you just feel like, whatever, I'll just spread my legs. Who cares anymore? You know, because paramedics are, are not asking, how are you doing emotionally? How, which is not their job. I understand that cops aren't asking that, you know, they're and right away, I was telling them what happened to me. I would say it over and over again. It, it was a, it was a killer. How do you know he was a killer? I know he was like, he was going to kill me. All oh, this kind of stuff doesn't happen. And right away, I saw that they were doubting me. And that made me a bit belligerent at first because I had so much energy from just getting out of there. And, and because things weren't going like I thought, I thought people would be right on it, be writing stuff down, like so fast they're telling me to slow down you know but that wasn't happening it was more people standing around looking at me then they brought me into a room and basically 
tried to put different stories in my head and asked if my boyfriend had done it. And I didn't even have a boyfriend. But when you go through something very crazy and then you are told by people who don't look crazy and they're wearing suits that you're the crazy one, you're making stories up, they wear you down and you almost admit that the whole thing was a lie. Yep. I, my friends, I feel like nobody believed me 100%. My friends thought I might've taken a ride with someone, but they thought it was an exaggeration. You know, they'd say, are you sure you were in a trunk? That's a little, it, it was just something that didn't happen in this area. And if something is too unbelievable, people just don't believe it. So I wasn't believed. I ended up having nervous breakdown. I went into a mental hospital and then I lived in and out of mental hospitals for over four years. And in the mental hospitals, they would let me see a psychologist and a psychiatrist for medication. They just gave me so many medications. I remember them telling me that I was schizophrenic, that I was that I was bipolar, that everything, anything you could think of, I was that and I was taking medications for that, which is, which is horrible because if somebody with a mental illness, which I don't even think I had right then, all I needed was somebody to hug me and tell me they understood what I went through. You know, I was just um, in shock mm-hmm. of having gone through this horrible experience, but everybody else was saying, Nope, you made it up. You know, the police report to, for a 5150 that would drop me off to the, you know, because I was acting up because yep. I started thinking I was crazy and, and I believed that I was crazy and I was all these things. And it made me really sad to walk around that mental hospital and wonder what happened to me. One day I had the perfect job taking care of the most beautiful special needs children ever. Everything was looking up. And then I left work that day and I don't know what happened. I became a crazy person. I ended up in all these hospitals because it becomes a big blur to overwhelm you, I guess, if you think you're crazy, everything is making it more. And um, that was the second worst part was having to accept that I was probably nuts. And you know, this is really why I wanted to talk with you because this is called not being witnessed. This is where you go through an experience like this. And I want to congratulate you for not giving up. My heart goes out to you. And, you know, I've read your book and I'm telling you, you can't put it down. But you becoming an ambassador and a spokesperson, and I can only talk about women. So all the men out there, there are men that will help you. But the women that go through experiencing and are going through shock and treatment right now, you know, are being denied their witnessing moment. You know, they're facing the things that you've talked about. And we just think that it's okay. But let me tell you, there's a history of this with women. 
if you go back to the age of my mom, you know, what happens when women are experiencing crisis, they do make you think you're crazy. And, you know, in my mom's case, they just gave her a bunch of pills to shut her up. Right. But you're now the spokesperson. You're the strength of survival for so many people. And that's why I wanted to acknowledge you, Jennifer, for that, because we need you. And I know that reliving this in every interview you do and answering some of the tough questions I'm asking you, they bring it all back. Yeah. They bring it all back. And I want to thank you for that today. I want to thank you for your story. I want to thank you for writing the book. I want to thank you for not caving in to the institutions that would have you make up or conjure up a story that wasn't true. Right? Right. What happened to the man? He was convicted of all the accounts. and So there was actually a man. That's vindication. There was a man. Yes, that was one of the best days <laughs> of my life. If that was one of the freakiest days of my life and one of the best days when I was called in to a police station and they said something happened to you on September 28th, 1992. <laughs> and by this time, you know, I had had a daughter and I had told myself, I am not going to act, look, be crazy at all, even though I think I am because I don't want her taken away, you know, so I'm going to just do this and that. So I just forgot about that story completely. I would drive by that area and look at it and wonder and think if it did happen, forget it, forget it. No, there's no proof, nothing. And then when I got down to that police station and they had me pick out a picture, well, first when they said something happened to you, September 28th, 1992. Yeah, I had to rack my mind. I had no idea. And then when he said, you were kidnapped, and I was like, just, I, on that day, I felt the largest range of emotions ever in my whole life. Happiness, um, sadness, just every, anything you could think of. Then hearing that there were other girls, I felt, oh, there's somebody I could talk to. But no, Jennifer, they're dead. Yeah. Guilt, yeah. survival, survivor's guilt, pride, yeah. self-love. Because it was more than just finding out that he was caught and they believe he did it. It was also me telling myself I was not crazy that whole time. That's right. I was not crazy. And that made me love myself more because when you think you're crazy, when everybody else thinks you're crazy, you don't treat yourself as good. No, you, you don't, don't use toilet seat covers. You don't wash your hands. You don't care because you're mm-hmm. crazy and nobody cares because you can do whatever and you can get away with it because you're crazy. Mm. So telling myself I wasn't crazy that day, I even started eating better food just that day, you know, it went on and off, you know, but I was just trying to love myself. I think Mm -hmm. for the first time I was just, I was just proud for once how the people in the police station were looking at me. Mm -hmm. It was surreal. 
like I was a celebrity or something. It was just powerful. It it was so powerful. Yeah. To be witnessed and to really step into the place where you know you're not crazy. Yeah. It now allows you to become the ambassador for so many women that don't have a voice. Jennifer, I want to thank you for writing the book. I want to thank you for all that you do. One last thing. How do people get a copy of your book? And thank you for today. You're welcome. To get a copy, you could go on Amazon. It's there. It's um, also Barnes & Noble online. Okay. And it is on Audible if you'd like to listen to books. Yeah. Please check them all out. Uh, for those of you out there, the book is The Girl in the Treehouse. It's a memoir, but I will tell you when you open this book, you're not going to put it down. It's not the kind of book you can put down. You're going to be thinking, oh, I'm going to pick it up late. No, you're mm -hmm. not because it is beautifully written and powerfully told. Jennifer, thank you for everything today. Thank you. Wow, we're going to take a short break, everybody. We're actually going to play some meditation for you right now because Jennifer said it all. We have to quiet our minds. Jennifer, you rock. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you shortly at the top of the hour. Hello, and welcome to Shades of Spirit Monthly Meditation. This meditation should not be done while operating a vehicle. Find a safe space where you can sit down and connect safely. Today, we will connect you with one of your guardian angels. This meditation will coincide with our monthly topics. Allow yourself to be open and judgment-free for the next eight minutes while we are on this journey together. Take a second to quiet your mind, body, and spirit. Start taking some slow and steady deep breaths in through your nose and out to your mouth, allowing yourself to sink deeper and deeper into your space. Allow your eyelids to get heavier with each breath. Take a deep breath in for the count of five, four, three, two, one and hold that breath for the count of five. And now release that breath for the count of five, four, three, two, one. And let's do that one more time. Take a nice deep breath in for the count of five, four, three, two, one and hold that breath for the count of five, allowing it to expand through your chest cavity. And release for the count of five, four, three, two, one. Picture yourself walking through an enchanted forest. You feel safe and you are looking for something. A heavy mist surrounds you as you become aware of your surroundings. You can hear the leaves beneath you as you take each step. You can hear wildlife in the distance as you continue walking. You can hear a waterfall nearby, but cannot see it just yet. The mist is thick on your skin, and you notice that this is not ordinary mist. It looks like tiny diamonds as it evaporates on your body. 
you also notice the smell surrounding you. It doesn't smell like a forest. You concentrate and realize it smells like a million rose bushes have bloomed all at once. It is the most beautiful scent that you have ever experienced. You look up and notice tiny beams of light begin to penetrate the mist. The light swirls as it heads straight down to illuminate your path. The mist begins to dissipate and it becomes a beautiful clear day all around you. You look directly in front of you and you see the most beautiful being you have ever seen. The two of you walk towards each other and embrace in a hug. This being introduces themselves to you as one of your guardian angels and tells you they have been waiting your whole life for this. Take a second to really look at your guardian angel. What do they look like? Male or female form? What are they wearing? What do they feel like? You reflect upon how familiar this feels and how it feels like you have known this guardian your entire life. It feels this way because you have. They have been with you since the beginning and always will be with you. They have just been waiting for you to remember them to connect. Feel this love, this unconditional love that they have for you that cannot be measured by time itself. They have been with you for many lifetimes and have guarded and protected your soul faithfully. Look your guardian in the eye. Think about the word guardian. What does it mean? Your guardian is literally a guard for you to protect you no matter what happens. Your guardian has fiercely defended you throughout time and made a vow to never leave your side. Take in this unimaginable bond that has been forged through time as the two of you have walked side by side. You have entrusted this angel with your soul and in return, your angel has accepted the responsibility and treats it with a sacred honor. Take a minute with your guardian. Be open to receive any messages they may have for you. Allow yourself to surrender your ego and be one with your guardian angel. As you prepare to part ways, thank your guardian for their patience, understanding, and guidance. Now I want you to turn around and head back to the sound of my voice. I want you to envision a staircase that is spiraling down to the space you're in. Take a slow and steady deep breath in, and on the exhale, start to descend down the spiral staircase, becoming more aware of the sounds you hear. Take another deep breath in, and on the exhale, you arrive at the bottom of the spiral staircase. Now you can feel yourself in your seat. You hear the sounds around you more clearly as you begin to wiggle your fingers and toes. Take a couple more deep breaths in, and on the exhales, start to open your eyes and become ever-present in your body and space.